Hi, and welcome back to our latest episode of On the Job with Porak. I'm Porak President Brian Marvel. With me today is Vice President Damon Kurtz. This episode will be a teaser of what's to come at Symposium with two guest speakers, Jason Schechterly and retired Lieutenant Colonel Robert Darling. Both parts will run back-to-back with Jason joining us first. Today we've invited on via Zoom motivational speaker and former Phoenix police officer, Jason Schechterly. Jason is the author of the 2014 book, Burning Shield, and has traveled around the nation telling his powerful story of the life-changing event on March 26, 2001, which his book is based upon. While on duty as a rookie police officer, Jason was rear-ended in his patrol car by a taxi traveling over 100 miles per hour. And this was on a surface street, if I remember correctly. Upon impact, Jason's car burst into flames, trapping him inside. His chances of surviving this horrific event was extremely slim. He suffered severe burns to over 40% of his body and has undergone more than 50 surgeries. Yet, he is here to tell the story, a story of life, rebirth and transformation. And we're lucky to have him as one of our presenters at our symposium Impact 2022 coming up on March 30th and March 31st in Dana Point. Jason, it's an honor to have you today. How are you doing? I couldn't be better, sir. Thank you so much for having me. I am excited that we're finally going to all be back in person and have this event go. Exactly. I've I've uh, I've seen you a couple times. Very powerful story. Um, you know, prior to that, I really hadn't heard about the incident, but I was fairly new to law enforcement too. I came on in '99, and then uh, to listen to what you had to uh, to talk about, uh, we're extremely excited to have you. I think uh, people need to hear your story. It's just amazing the trials and tribulations that you've gone through, but your ability to uh, to persevere and and basically inspire. people people uh, that are just, I just feel it's, you know, really incredible to be able to hear what you have to say. Thank you so much. I really, I can't believe it's 21 years. Uh, Like you said, you came on the same year I did. And now here it's going to be 21 years since my accident. And I just wouldn't trade a place with anybody in the world. I love being able to share my story. I love everything that I've been through and I love what the future holds. Well, what, uh, what inspired you to want to be a peace officer? Is it something, a uh, lifelong dream? Why Phoenix PD? Why another agency? Well, I was born and raised here uh, in the Valley. I mean, when you think about Phoenix, what a lot of people don't realize is every city is connected. It's just one giant valley, one giant city. And so I was born and raised here. And I thought about it at a young age. I knew I wanted to serve. I love wearing a uniform. I joined the Air Force after I did a short stand at a college scholarship to play golf, but I joined the military. And then, uh, but I, when I came off the military, I was, you know, still kind of a young guy. And just for me, it wasn't, I didn't think I was ready for it. And four years later, when I was 26, we had an officer in Phoenix named Mark Atkinson was shot and killed in line of duty. And just watching that on the five o'clock news, it was truly my aha moment. And I went the very next day and filled out an application to start my journey. Very nice. So obviously, uh, you know, you're still relatively new on the department. The incident happens. And really, that's what you talk about. When I when I saw you at the uh, Accelerate conference, you know, you really took this experience and it transformed your life. And that's obviously what you're going to probably talk about here. What is... Um, 
What's your perspective on life? And especially now being 21 years later after the incident. Yeah, I think I have a lot of perspectives and, you know, just like with anything in life, we all grow, we all change. I'm not the, I'm not the man I was when I was 26 years old and took the job. And it's not just because of my, my injury and my career path change. Uh, we all change as we grow older. And so my perspective has changed in a, it just keeps getting better. It keeps getting more enhanced and more magnified, but you know, Early on, I, like I said, I was married and I had two kids and being a father, being a dad, it, there's nothing more important in life. And so that's something that was bigger than me. I did not have the ability to fail or give up because I, I still had responsibilities, even though on my dark days where I thought I lost my job and, and things like my eyesight and losing some fingers and just obviously the burn injuries, my, my appearance, there was a lot to that and a lot of dark days, but I focused on the big stuff, you know, my wife sticking by my side, my kids. And then as time went by, I did return to work 18 months later. I ended up being a homicide detective for three years before I chose when it was the right time for me to retire. And then we had another child after the accident, which is just an incredible thing. This is an entire life that shouldn't even exist. And here he is all grown up now playing college baseball. And to see that, I mean, it, it kind of makes all this fade away. I became a grandpa last year. And again, I, I just, every time, if you don't stop moving forward, things will continue to peel off the bad things and your, your armor continues to get stronger with, the good things. And that's, that's kind of how it goes. But, you know, I just, I think what I think about today is no matter what happens, don't let the pain of today blind you from the problems of tomorrow. Just got to keep going. So when you wrote the book and I know it's been out for, uh, for a while now, was it really a, a cathartic experience for you to be able to just put this on paper and share it? with the world it was it was cathartic and therapeutic but also you got to understand from my perspective i was in a coma for a very long time i was in the hospital for a very long time there's a lot of things that i don't know i did not witness my accident i did not feel anything that was going on and what the book does if you read it every single person involved the firefighters, the police officers, the doctors, my family, every single person involved from the moment of impact all the way through to when that book was written, they told their own stories. And you know, from being a police officer, put two people next to each other, watch the same event. They tell two different stories. Witnesses are hilarious, right? So that's what I love about the book. Everybody got to share their story. And so when I read it, is incredibly cathartic because it helps me put the pieces together, but also it reinforces why I stay so positive because I want to honor all those people. It wasn't my life that was changed. There was almost a hundred lives were changed in that one moment. Yeah. And it was good to see the, all the folks around you rally in support of you and your journey. I really do feel uh, with you coming out to our symposium at the end of the month to, to have this conversation and talk to our members will be very inspirational, be uplifting. It's just, I think it's going to be a fantastic time and I'm really looking forward to, uh, to seeing you again. I, like I said, I saw you back in uh, Phoenix at that Accelerate uh, conference. Um, where can we, uh, where can we purchase the book? Uh, the book's available on Amazon. 
Amazon or uh, Barnes and Noble. There's a link on my website, burningshield.com. The book is titled Burning Shield. My email is jasonburningshield.com. I am super easy to find to get a hold of, especially with my crazy last name. But yeah, if anybody gets the book ahead of time and brings it, I'd love to to sign it. And I I cannot wait for this event. What, uh, what are you doing now, right now in your life? Uh, well, thankfully, the public speaking, it is my full-time career and it's, it's coming back, you know, as, as COVID decreases. Obviously, 2020 was zero and 2021 was, was, you know, barely above that. But things are getting pretty busy. I travel a lot to watch my son play baseball. He's, I'm in Arizona. He's in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you know, I only have four years left of that to watch. So. I stay real busy. I play a lot of golf and do public speaking. Uh, and I still teach at our Phoenix Police Academy, uh, teach victimology, share share my story, try to be an ambassador for the city of Phoenix and just uh, try to fill up my days. I'm still a young man and, and I look forward to everything. Well, again, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, we're excited to have you in a couple of weeks. So uh, until then, I will see you in uh, Dana Point. Yes, my favorite place. I will see you in Dana Point. Now we have on via Zoom another symposium speaker, retired United States Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel Robert Darling, who spent just over 20 years in active duty. In June of 1998, he was selected to fly as a presidential pilot with Marine Helicopter Squadron 1. In October 2000, he was selected to work for the White House Military Office Airlift Operations Department. It was in that capacity that, then, Major Darling supported the President, Vice President, and National Security Advisor in the Presidential Emergency Operations Center on September 11, 2001. Lieutenant Colonel Darling will be talking about his experience on 9-11 inside the White House bunker, where he worked along Vice President Dick Cheney and National Security Advisor Condoleezza Rice. Robert, it's an honor to have you on today. Um, you know, I had the uh, the great pleasure of uh, seeing you speak at the University of San Diego. We had a symposium down there. And I can tell you, everybody in that room was literally hanging on every word you were talking about. It was utterly amazing to get an insight uh, of what you were doing on that day. And I can tell you, we're extremely excited for you to come out and, and speak uh, to our members at our uh, symposium conference at Dana Point. But before we uh, talk about that a little bit, what what got you to join the Marine Corps and, and your career prior to actually being in the bunker? You know, my goal in life, I'm the third of four boys growing up. So I naturally, I'm tired of hand-me-down clothes and sneakers. And my goal in life was to be as wealthy as possible. I originally wanted to be a stockbroker, live in the Hamptons, have so much money, you never talk to the same two people twice. That all changed when I was a freshman at Iona College in New Rochelle, New York, when on, in October of that year of 1983, we had the Beirut bombing. 244 service members were blown up by Hezbollah, a terrorist organization over in Lebanon. The upperclassmen from my own were all out joining the Marine Corps saying that they're gonna become pilots and infantry officers. And I immediately got interested in that. Went down there, talked to the recruiter. He told me to go away. I wasn't committed. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And during my junior year, I went to officer candidate school um, graduated in 1987, commissioned the day after, and off in the Marine Corps I went. Never looked back. 
So when you got transferred to, you know, working in the uh, the presidential operations and, and going through this, obviously, uh, at some point after your um, your career, you decided to write the book. What was did you really feel that this story needed to be told? And um, I, I can tell you, you know, obviously, I Damon and I are both prior military, too. And um, a lot of people really find a lot of interest in, in some of the stuff that happens. And yours is just to such a compelling story and you're such a great presenter, uh, which makes it even more, uh, makes it better. So what really wanted you to really bring this book forward and, and put it out there? Well, and I appreciate you saying that. It's really nice. It was really, I had my notes. It was America's story. There was so much in there that I wanted the American public to know, but we have guidelines and procedures. You know, you work in the White House, you have a top secret clearance. We just can't run off and do what we wanted to do. So really at the urging of my father-in-law and my, and my family, my mom and dad, they're like, get permission, follow the rules, get permission, get the story on paper, get it out. So America knows that the true heroes of that day were ordinary Americans willing to stand up and give their life for this country and save the lives of complete strangers, either sitting next to them on an airplane or in, in the building or office space down the hall, whether you're talking about the towers or the Pentagon that day, incredible moment in history where it wasn't a great moment for the U.S. military, but it was an incredible moment for America as we united ourselves and fought back against these terrorists trying to de decapitate our country. So maybe uh, I know you're doing the presentation. I don't want to give too much away, and, and I highly recommend everybody get the book. The book's fantastic, too. Uh, talk a little bit about what you're going to present uh, at Symposium. I'm going to take you all into the bunker complex with me that day. The minute the White House was ordered to be evacuated, second time in history, next thing you know, I'm inside, underground, the deep White House bunker. Can't tell people how to get there, how thick the walls are, but I'm going to take you into the bunker complex and I'm going to share with you everything I learned, everything I heard, the orders that were given, and the fact that we were willing to take lives out of the sky to save lives on the ground, the heroic decisions that were made. We call them crisis leadership decisions on behalf of all America that day to get our country moving forward. So out of your time in there, what was your biggest takeaway from that time that you were in the bunker, either through the military or what you saw that the civilians and, and public safety members doing? You know, I was really proud of our nation's leadership, specifically Vice President Cheney at the time. He was spending a, a great deal of time trying to get hold of the president who was getting airborne out of Florida and our secretary of defense over in the Pentagon, Donald Rumsfeld at the time. And he stood up and he made some very difficult choices that needed to be made. And he was willing to be accountable for those choices. And he literally set the tone in the room that this is America. This is what's going on. Everybody buckle down, strap in. We're going to do whatever it takes to defend this nation. And he was the, the hero in the room, if you will. I always say it was his greatest moment to be the crisis leader that we needed him to be that day. Pretty compelling story. I know I got to hear most of this uh, once before. And, you know, for us that, you know, Brian and I are prior military and, and have similar stories as far as um, what led us to the military, that that calling to serve and um, that patriotism. Um, I think 9-11 really brought the country together uh, through tragedy, but also the crisis management that you talk about. And it, and it, and it really 
crosses over into the law enforcement profession, the first responders. And we see it, you know, in major incidents and you see people step up and rise to the occasion and sometimes not. Um, but that's why we, we learn from these situations. And, and I think what you bring to the table is also learning from the situation on how we could be better, but also what we did right. So I, I really appreciate you bringing this, this forward for everybody to hear. Uh, Damon, it's really my pleasure. You know, and for the last now, since I got permission in 2010, now coming up on 12 years, I've been running around to meet every every first responder, every police officer, fireman, EMS worker who's willing to stand next to me to tell them how grateful our country is for their service. Our, our intense moment on that day doesn't compare to a lifetime of putting yourself out there to save the lives of the people in your communities in our country. You and the heroes that you work with are the linchpin in this country that keeps us safe and keeps us free. So anytime I get an opportunity to come out and say thank you and share my story, I'm honored to do it. Well, we definitely uh, thank you for your service, especially during this time, because, you know, the one takeaway for me was, is, you know, you had such a critically important job and the people that you were communicating with based on the orders you were receiving in that bunker. And you know how it is when you're down there and, and communication is not as uh, forthcoming as you would like it to be. You know, sometimes you're making decisions in the dark a little bit uh, until better communications. It's just, you know, you were in a really tough spot yourself having to, you know, make the those calls to other uh, military commands and and watching what's going on and you know I guess it's like the fog of fog of battle uh, uh, really trying to figure out and gather all this intel and and you weren't the only one obviously but you know it's just uh, uh, the incredible work across the spectrum with our military and trying to be so quick and rapidly responding to a situation they had no idea uh, what was going to be next so. Afterwards, when you're done with that, did you finish out your career at the at the White House or did you go on to other units? I stayed in the White House till April 2002. They then sent me out to Monterey, California, another tough duty station. Unbelievable. And uh, I attended Naval Postgraduate School, got an MBA in financial management, went back to the Pentagon as a program manager for what we call the Flying Hour Program. Every aircraft, Navy and Marine Corps that flies needs to be funded, needs to be maintained. And we have pilots that we got to put through those aircraft to keep them safe and, and, and ready. And that was my job. It was a $16 billion program. And I ran that for four years and retired in 2007. Very nice. So what are you, uh, what are you doing now in your life? Besides the speaking circuit. <laughs> you got it. I'm running around. I'm sharing the story with anybody who will hear me. I also have, I'm all the owner and CEO of Turning Point Crisis Management USA. Based on my experience in the bunker that day, now my personal why, my mission in life is to get every company, every community, every government agency that'll have me more prepared than they were yesterday. So as a nation, we can become more resilient. We work on crisis communications, decision-making, and ultimately we wanna make them better leaders in times of crisis. Where can we buy the book? At my mom's house, she has 80,000 of them in her living room. No, you can, <laughs> you can get the book at Amazon.com uh, and just go and uh, search 24 hours inside the president's bunker. Or you can jump on my website and click order book. It's a PayPal type event. I'll sign the book. I'll send it wherever you want. Priority mail. You'll have it in two days. And uh, I just say thank you up front for, for the order. So I appreciate that greatly. What's your, uh, what's your website? 
Robert J, letter J, darling.com. Robert J, darling.com. All right. We'll make sure to put a link on that. Well, I'm excited, sir, to uh, to see you again in uh, Dana Point in a couple weeks. Um, I hope you have safe travels out. I tell you, people will be – that room will be completely quiet as you are presenting. Um, it's a thrilling – Honestly, they could probably make a movie out of it uh, because it was that thrilling uh, to listen to you talk about it and and read the book and, and all the things that were happening on that day. Very incredible work. I appreciate your service to our nation, especially on that day, uh, working down there with uh, uh, the White House. Um, so I really look forward to seeing you and uh, thank you for being on. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. And thank you, Damon, for having me on. I'm looking forward to seeing you both again and making this a great event. So see you in a few weeks. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. Thank you all for joining us on this latest episode of On the Job with Porak with Jason Schechterly and retired Lieutenant Colonel Robert Darling. If you haven't already, like and subscribe to this podcast and share us on social media. As always, we'd like to close this podcast by thanking all our Porak members and our nation's law enforcement. We hope you stay safe and have a great day. Porak is California's largest law enforcement organization and the largest statewide association in the nation, representing over 77,000 public safety members since 1953. Our monthly podcasts, as well as past episodes, are available on Porak.org, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Porak's YouTube channel, or where popular podcasts are downloaded. Be sure to follow us on all our social media platforms and tag us with your suggestions for future show topics. To learn more about our organization, visit us at Porak. Porak.org. We are Porak.